Well, the first thing I learned to do was instead of seeing someone else doing better than you, you ought, my first reaction is to congratulate them or support them on their journey. So it's not a race to the finish. It's more so if we're all coming through this together, um, especially on our journey. Some people may be further ahead than you, and that's, that's perfectly okay. Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Webflail the podcast dedicated to uncovering the greatest failures behind the greatest web flowers, because success often comes after learning from many failures. I'm your host, Jack Redley, a failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Kayla Williams, founder of B2B Studio, the studio that creates impactful brands and websites for business growth. I hope you're as inspired by this episode as much as I am. In today's episode, we talk about creating systems in your business, letting imposter syndrome get in the way of opportunities and not building balance into your week. So embrace and learn from failure in episode 11 of Webflow with Kayla Williams. It's an honor to have you here, Kayla. Hi, it's so good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So Kayla, you've had an amazingly busy week. I saw on Twitter that you have had you know, you're hiring a Webflow developer and all sorts. But before we talk about that stuff and where you are at now, can we just rewind the clock and talk a little bit about how you started realizing you were a creative and how you got into Webflow? Oh, gosh, I guess I would have to go all the way back to high school, (laughs) junior high, as far as when I started to become creative. I've always been a creative person, anything that's remotely creative. But in terms of like digital creation or like food creation, I'm all about that. So I pretty much knew I was a creative from the time I was probably like five. (laughs) But so when I got to high school and college is when I really started to apply that. So I started off as a freelancer doing, you know, work one-off jobs like free fiber of work um, which is somewhat of a curse word now I don't know why but it's definitely like jump-started me into learning how to deal with people and clients and all of those kinds of things so I'm grateful for it it got me through college somewhat Um, it definitely helped but as I kind of came through to that I wanted to kind of get outside of the freelancer. I knew I didn't want to stay a freelancer. I definitely had that end goal of building out an agency, um, which is what I'm doing now. And you saw in that tweet um, that it's definitely in overdrive right now. So as far as Webflow is concerned, I think I probably learned about it two to three years ago. But once I did, I was like, wait, what is this tool? It's a godsend. (laughs) I can't believe this is even available because I was used to doing things on like Wix and I don't know if anybody's heard of Yola but we go all the way back for Yola Um, and then I never really got into WordPress it just kind of confused me and I put that to the side but I think when I saw Webflow I was like what are all these things that you can do it's kind of allows you to really go in depth so that was a long way around that but (laughs) yeah that's how I kind of learned about Webflow and really just went into overdrive on that. And now for anyone that hasn't seen uh, Kayla's tweet she was interviewing for Webflow Dev this week and doing brand exploration and all sorts of other things. But I mean, obviously, you've got to a stage now where, you know, you're growing your agency, which is amazing. How would you summarize your journey so far? Um, 
I would say it's been a uh, pretty up and down for sure. So when I was in that freelancer space, sometimes I still do kind of dip into that depending on, you know, what client comes to me or where they find me. Sometimes I do kind of uh, dip into that area. But as far as the journey, it's definitely been, been up and down. Some, you know, in two years ago, I didn't know where my next client would come from. Sometimes, you know, last year or even recently, um, you went, you go through slow points sometimes, and that's um, sometimes to be expected. I'm definitely growing out of that, um, hopefully within the next year um, and being able to consistently be able to kind of foresee work that's coming in. I'm definitely seeing that now. So that's awesome. Um, but the journey has definitely not been a smooth one um, by any means, but I'm grateful for it. And it's just kind of growing uh, me into the leader that I want to be in terms of VTV Studio and where I want to go. Let's jump in to your failures here. Tell me about failure number one, not creating systems in your business. Yeah, for sure. So like going back to that freelancer side of things, you kind of are used to just flying by the seat of your pants to a certain extent. You know, you don't really write anything down. You don't really kind of follow the same process or procedure going forward. So you kind of do things differently because you are learning and you are kind of figuring out what the best procedure is or best method is for that particular job. So once it just wasn't working for me in terms of not being able to go back to certain things that worked or not even remembering what you did that actually worked for that particular project. So I definitely learned that creating systems, writing everything down, making sure you're following processes um, or even just simple tasks the same way just learning from those successful jobs and applying them to a system, you can be, you know, easily able to pass that on to someone or even just follow it yourself as a freelancer. If you're going to go down that road, shout out to John Saunders. He uh, definitely taught me in terms of creating those systems and just kind of putting it, making it a bit easier. So he just kind of laid it all out there with this course. I definitely encourage everybody to check it out. It's amazing. I probably wouldn't be growing as quickly as I am if it wasn't for that course. Um, But yeah, I would say that's definitely something that I learned for sure as a a failure or a lesson. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people jump straight into Webflow and they're like, whoa, I can build stuff. Okay, let's try and get someone to pay me to build stuff. If you were to look back in hindsight now, say you were that freelancer or someone that just came across Webflow as a platform, you know, how did you even work out what your processes were? And at what point did you land on the process being like, okay, now I need to write this down because this is my process. So with Webflow, that definitely was the last thing to actually um, create a system for because it is so in-depth at the beginning. You're just really trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure out how do I do certain things before you even create a system because you have to figure out how to actually do it. So um, after you kind of learn, go through Webflow, Webflow University, all of those things that are available out there to learn, you just kind of figure out this is, you know, what I should, how I should build this or what I should do. And that also came from actually studying a lot of Webflow templates that they released on the, the site, as well as clonables, how people are building things, what the best way to build it is. And then once client first came around, I was like, oh, <laughs> this seems like a system in a way where you can kind of make sure that that's that same structure is applied to every project. 
Um, and it definitely helped in terms of that going back to those systems because um, before you would just kind of build it the best way that you knew how. Um, but once that came around, it kind of systematically allowed me to build the projects the same way and with the same quality and with the same structure and not allow another developer to come in and easily take it over for sure. So what you're saying is learn Webflow really, really well and then try and focus on process yeah. after. Yeah. Because I think that's sometimes where the conflict is when you're learning the platform but you're doing client work, but you're learning the platform and it's kind of, and to some extent you are learning every single project, you know, the platform Mm -hmm. better and better. But I think sometimes people jump straight into like selling Webflow because they've they've kind of just started. Um, But what you're saying is learn it really well, try and work out what your processes are, should be, and follow some kind of system like client first and then think about, getting clients yeah 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 for sure yeah it's hard it's going to be hard to do all three of those things at the same time if you have a client that um, needs work from you and you're also learning at the same time it is difficult to create those systems so either kind of learn it well um, and make sure you can apply that those learnings to a client you know job or you know try to create the system first maybe you look at other projects and you know some other people how they're building things you can write that down and then apply it to the next client so it can kind of work both ways but generally I would prefer to you know kind of learn it first and then create those that process for how you build and for anyone that's watching now that's like I'm just starting out with Webflow I mean I'm watching Webflow University but what other resources are out there paid and not and not paid. I mean, you mentioned um, John D. Saunders's course, um, which I haven't done, but I've heard good things about it. Do you have any other like resources or anything that you would like recommend? Um, you know, maybe someone that's watching now who's who's learning Webflow. I would actually say the best way to learn is just kind of jump right in um, and create something because the, like you mentioned uh, before the templates and the clonables that I've been releasing that they were a way for me to kind of really go in depth and learn what I can do. Um, And that also allows, you know, future clients to see and say, Oh, look at, look at that work. That's great. Even though um, it's not particularly a client project, you can model it around a client project that you would want. So I think one of the best ways to learn is just kind of jump in, go right ahead and jump in, you know, come up with an idea or maybe just take a look at a project that you would like um, and then just go forward. One of the best ways for me to learn is jump right in and and just (laughs) kind of break things and, and figure it out. That's a really, really good advice. And yeah, I would um, <clears throat> second Philip's comment there um, about the Flux Academy. I've done, I've actually got um, done Flux Academy and Pate Pro's um, course. Mm-hmm. So that I'd recommend them both a lot for yeah, not just yeah. building Webflow, but also the SEO side, which is um, Pate's, um, Pate's one. So one thing that I wanted to ask you about in regards to um learning Webflow is that you have got templates. You seem to have kind of um, done a lot of your learning by making templates at the start of your Webflow career. Do you recommend that for um, people that are starting out to just make stuff? Maybe they haven't necessarily got the inbound um, client requests. What do you think about templates? Should you do them? Should you not? Is it a waste of time? What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that's one of the top factors of why we're starting to grow um, as a studio the way that we are because of the templates that um, I just wanted to create 
a project that I would actually want in a client. So if I can think of that and say, this would be the kind of client that I would want. So this is the project that I should create in terms of like a fake project or whatever. So you do the same kind of research. You take a look, say, for instance, if it's an education project, you would take a look at other education websites, um, maybe go on Lapa Ninja, something like landbook.com. Um, study a few other educational websites, um, take that into account, see how they phrase things, see what their copy looks like, and take that information and apply it to a fake project. And someone who is an actual educational client will come in and say, oh, this is exactly the kind of work that we need. So um, templates are a huge factor. I would encourage anyone to do them anytime that you can find to create something. It doesn't have to be a huge project, but just kind of try it out. See if you can do a one-page website side, two page, something that just speaks to your ability and speaks to the quality of your work and just go on with that. And then the more that you publish, the more people that see that on your web profile, they'll click that hire me button. And that's kind of what happened to me. I would also say that a lot of people that are cloning the project, you know, once you've put a template out there, might not necessarily know Webflow very well. That's why they're buying the template. And then they realize, mm-hmm. oh, actually, this is kind of hard. So why don't I just reach out to the person that made the template to help me, you know, do the editing of this or, um, you know, set up something uh, longer term, like a subscription-based model. Please, can you continuously update this? So yeah. I, I think templates is such a good way to to start out. And now you've, you know, established yourself and you've got more and more client work coming in. Do you still think it's worth like making templates or was that something that was kind of like an engine at the start um, for you to, to get clients? It's actually something I enjoy. So it's not something that I would just completely give up because I do love creating things for the community and having that available because you can have someone, a freelancer who sees your template and they have a client that needs something like that. And they use that template, they customize it if the client agrees to that kind of thing. And that's that's helping them on their journey to, to kind of grow. So I definitely wouldn't want to stop because I do have client work coming in um, and it's starting to get a little busy. Um, I haven't been able to do uh, as many templates as I want or any really, um, but I definitely want to get back to that once things kind of settle down. But yeah, for sure. I think it's it's a great thing to do for the community. So I wouldn't want to give that up for sure. Yeah, that's a really, really good point that it's not just about getting clients. It's also yeah. the, the community aspect of making templates and, and clonables. Can I just circle back to you making systems in your business? So for someone that's starting out, they know Webflow kind of well, they've got clients. How would, how did you actually, you know, make systems as it were? Like, did you, did you go to Notion and did you, you know, write everything down? Did you record videos? How did you actually, because I think a lot of people say you got to have systems in your business and it's like, okay, cool. How did you, how did you actually approach that? For sure. So when I first started out, um, before I had even taken any courses or anything like that, I used to just write everything in a plain Apple Notes app. <laughs> I'm just doing like a one, two, three. This is what I did. This is what I did. This is what I did after a project or even as I'm doing the project, paying attention to what I'm doing and writing it down. It's really informal, probably took me like a few minutes. But as I began to grow, that the notes really wasn't a solution. So I did kind of move over to Notion, um, which actually 
you know, is a little bit more systematic. You can kind of build it into your project management and all of these other tools. So basically what I just did is as you're doing an actual job, so say for instance, you have a lead that comes in um, and there's a specific process that you follow, you send a questionnaire or you send um, a schedule link for um, through Calendly or something like that, um, just to kind of get the job going. What you would do after that, or even during that is just take, take those steps, one, two, three, and then just quickly write them down in a Notion page or in your notes if you're just starting out. And that's how I usually go about it. Some others, like um, John Saunders recommends recording yourself in a loom. Um, that takes a bit of time for me that I, I really don't want to give right now because of what I'm, everything I have to do. But that is a great call out to kind of record yourself doing it. And then you'll be able to go back and write those things down. So you don't forget a, a step. But for sure, if you can remember everything, definitely, you know, write it down. Um, but that's, that's how I would go about it, for sure. And I would also say that there's kind of different systems that you need in your business as you grow, like, you might have systems for email. So you might have like email templates that you realize you keep sending and you're like, okay, this is really stupid. I'm going to make a system yeah. for the email. <laughs> then you might have- and That like, was oh. the first thing I did actually was okay. the email template. <laughs> I'm yeah. saying the same thing and it's taking me 20 minutes to write this email every time. Why am I not templating this out, copying it somewhere and then just filling out the links as need be? That was actually the first thing I did. And it was, you know, it saved so much time now not to have to write those emails out. And then you might be like, okay, it would be really helpful if I had systems for my actual process from the client onboarding to the actual delivery of the work to the launch of the website. To You might have a system for your referral scheme. So there's like, I think that's another thing to, to say as well. When you have systems in your freelancer or your agency, I've worked for Crafty Studios. So shout out to Dexter uh, yeah, awesome. yeah, they do really beautiful work, but they use Notion and they write down, you know, in have a separate page on Notion for each of these different parts that make up the whole agency system. So yeah, I think yeah. that's, that's also worth saying, whether you use Notion or whether you use something else or whether you use Loom, just making sure that you have kind of clear systems yeah um, i think there's a tool too i can't remember if the name ex escaped me right now but there is a tool that you can actually click record and actually do the job and it will actually write it out for you i wish i could remember it right now Ooh, um, that sounds helpful yeah it's it's a great tool i wish i could remember it but you might be able to google something like automatic sop creator or automatic um systems i can't really remember but it's i haven't used it yet but it sounds really promising um and shout out to Opsys too. I actually got into that a little bit ago um, by the future. They just released a system to help agencies kind of, you know, have everything in one place. So I would definitely recommend, I'm actually setting that up now and getting into it. It does have a place where you can, you know, store procedures and templates and all that stuff. So I would definitely recommend people who are watching to dig into that. So tell me about uh, failure number two here. We've got letting imposter syndrome get in the way of opportunities. I feel like anyone watching is probably resonating with this. Oh, gosh, the big it. one. <laughs> <laughs> the big one. 
Yeah, I would say it's something that you continue to struggle with throughout this entire process. It's it never really it sometimes it gets better. I can definitely say that um, as you grow, um, but it always seems to kind of rear its its ugly head um, sometimes. So I would definitely say, as as you mentioned, obviously I'm young. I'm a, a woman. <laughs> I'm also African American. So three of those things kind of make it seem like sometimes where you're not where you should be or you're not where you're supposed to be or you're not as good as the next designer or agency owner. But those kind of that can cause those imposter syndrome symptoms <laughs> to kind of come up. Um, but I've learned to kind of trust in yourself as well as trusting in your skill. Um, and I'm also a big person on faith. So that also helps as well, just kind of uplifting me, bringing me to a spot where you can say, okay, you can do this. This is, um, you're better than you think you are. So those are the kinds of things that help um, as far as imposter syndrome. I hope it gets better, but I'm definitely encouraged um, that it, uh, as you kind of grow and learn and practice makes perfect, it starts to be rare to experience imposter syndrome. Um, But I definitely say it doesn't completely go away for sure. And so Tell us a little bit about the systems that you have to cope. I mean, you talked a little bit about faith there. Say you're having a bad day. Someone on Twitter or social media is talking about how amazing their business is going. And maybe Mm -hmm. yours isn't and you're feeling a little low and you see that kind of a message. What do you do to kind of navigate uh, imposter syndrome? Well, the first thing I learned to do was instead of seeing someone else doing better than you, you ought, my first reaction is to congratulate them or support them on their journey. Um, so it's not a race to the finish. It's more so if we're all coming through this together, um, especially on our journey. Some people may be further ahead than you, and that's that's perfectly okay. Um, so that's usually my first reaction, and that kind of tampers down that imposter syndrome a bit. Um, and then my next step is to say, okay, that's not where I am right now, but how can I get there? Right. So any anything that I need to do, do I need to take uh, another course? Do I need to learn from a mentor? Do I need to practice it a little bit more? Do I need to um, post on social media a little bit more um, to get a little bit more traction? So I think those are the things that I do to kind of navigate through that. Um, and then obviously faith, um, you know, you just send a prayer up and say, hey, um, I'm struggling with this. <laughs> Can you help me? Um, uh, so those are the kinds of things that I, you know, would definitely encourage everyone to do. Some people have their own uh, ways of managing it, but I would say those are, are mine for sure. Yeah. I, I love what you say about turning kind of jealousy into a form of, of kind of positive energy with congratulating yeah. people. I think it's sometimes hard when you see someone at the same level as you talking about, you know how how much they're earning or whatever it is but um Mm -hmm. but I actually think realizing that you know a win for an individual in the Webflow community is actually a win for every single person that does Webflow because Webflow is kind of at um very early stages in the grand scheme of um you know web development so I think when I see someone talk about you know their their Webflow projects and how busy they're busy they are and stuff it's actually it genuinely is a hugely positive thing for for you too as, mm-hmm. as someone that uses Webflow. So 
Um, yeah, so yeah, and fully understand that you don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes from that person. So they might be struggling with certain things or certain similar things that they just had a win before you did. And that's okay. But you don't really see everything that they're struggling with or having stress about. Um, so that's another thing that you kind of think about to, you know, say that we're all in this together. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And sometimes actually the highest paying clients are the most difficult to deal with. And um, <laughs> sometimes, you know, yeah, for sure. Sometimes. Um, so, you know, that's the other thing as well. The kind of experience that that individual might be having is not necessarily always positive. And, you know, I, I think uh, everyone's metric for success differs, but I'd mm-hmm. like to think that, you know, having a, a relatively stress-free client experience uh, would be every Webflow's dream. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> So one part of imposter syndrome is is letting imposter syndrome getting in the way of opportunities. And I think that's an interesting part of um, imposter syndrome where you you see everyone that's applying for a competition mm-hmm. um, that you want to apply for and you're like, Ugh, what's the point? Um, <laughs> yeah. What, so you talk about imposter syndrome getting in the way of opportunities. Um, how do you just get that out of your head and you're just like, I'm just going to do this anyway. Like I'm just going to apply anyway for a competition, for example, or I'm going to put in that application for a client that I really want to get. Um, how do you kind of just go ahead and do it anyway? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely imposter syndrome can get in the way of going after things for sure. So if you do kind of let it overtake you and you have an opportunity that comes along, like a client that comes along, it's a huge project and there's all of these things to do. Um, And you know that some of those things you don't have experience in or you might not be the best at, but it's kind of not based in reality because you know you can figure it out. You can do it. I wouldn't recommend taking a project, though, that you know nothing about and don't do so that that will be just a a nightmare. But if you do or you have some idea about it, just kind of tamper that down in the back of your head and say, I can do this. I can take this project. I'm not going to let imposter syndrome stop me from this opportunity that could, you know, skyrocket my my career. So that's one thing that can happen. But if it does, um, just kind of go after it. Just kind of like today um, with this with this interview, I was like, imposter syndrome kicks in. Is like, wait, why do you want to talk to me? <laughs> I'm just starting like um, two years ago, starting to build this agency. What, like I'm still in the growth stage. Like, why am I here? <laughs> so those kinds of things can kind of say, okay, yeah, you kind of know what you're doing. You're doing pretty well. Um, go after that opportunity. I'm a big fan of saying yes to things um, now, or I, as I used to say, oh gosh, no, I can't do that, um, or I'm not equipped for that. Um, I actually recommend your first response to being yes. Um, and then if something happens down the road, that's fine. You can kind of pivot, but I'm, I'm a fan of being a, a yes person. <laughs> so I'll say yes. <laughs> and I definitely think, though, that sometimes you have that kind of sense of fear. Um, And I don't know about you, Kayla, but when that sense of fear comes in, sometimes that's a sign that you should go towards that fear Mm -hmm. because you're not going to overcome those fears unless you do. So I think sometimes the fear is, and that maybe anxiety that comes with imposter syndrome is actually a sign that you should just do it. You should just go for it because (laughs) that may be something that's going to push you um, outside your comfort zone but your comfort zone is going to get bigger as a result 
And, um, you know, that can only be a good thing. But let's move on to failure number three, not building balance into my week, uh, being a workaholic and perfectionist. Talk to me about that. Oh, gosh, I feel like all three of these are connected in some way. Um, and they kind of link back to the last one. So like not building balance into my week. Um, so I'm definitely a recovering workaholic. <laughs> um, you can ask my parents, you can ask my friend, you can ask anyone that I know. Um, that's always what I'm doing. Most of the time, I'm trying to get go forward. So I would say not building into balance into my week links back to that imposter syndrome just a little bit, because if you feel like you're not doing enough or as the next person, then you might overcompensate for that and do entirely too much and take on too much and stress yourself out. So there is balance to that. Um, You do want to grow. That's completely fine. Um, Sometimes you may have to kind of grind it out for a day. Um, but if it's becoming a pattern, right, if it's not something that you can kind of control, um, which is what sometimes I do struggle with is not being able to control it. If I'm kind of in the grind, not being able to set it down, take a break. A lot of times I forget to eat or I don't eat because I don't have time. Um, so I would say that really kind of they all link together in a way. And it's something that I'm learning and constantly learning. Um, and I think I'm getting better. Um, I have made sure that on the weekends, I don't touch any work. Um, a lot of times I don't pick up emails unless it's something really urgent. Um, a lot of times it's not. So I'll just say it, it can wait to Monday. So Saturday, Sunday is completely, you know, just rest thinking But while I am resting, I'm probably thinking about what I have to do <laughs> next week and what I, um, you know, my to do list, which is what I'm still working on, but just kind of taking time for your making sure you can build balance having a stop has really worked for me so I don't usually work past three or four when that time comes I kind of put it down and say I'm done um, unless it's something that's really pressing or I have a deadline usually that's not the case but just working those kind of balances into your week I think really helps about you know with that workaholic uh, syndrome so having clear boundaries when you work and when you don't work I think that's been exacerbated during lockdown because, you know, you're in probably in your bedroom or, you know, at home (laughs) and, uh, and that's the space which you relax as well. And that kind of there's blurred lines between when you work and when you don't, as a result, um, do you also have like a space that you work in and that is exclusively like the space that you work in? Um, or is it just the kind of time boundaries that you set? Well, I don't have a space boundary just yet. I am still in my bedroom slash office. So hopefully uh, one day I can have that separate office that's just completely dedicated to work. Um, but that's down the a little down the road. But right now it's just particularly time boundaries, letting clients know when you're working and when you won't be able to respond not immediately responding to every message that comes in (laughs) with those emails. Sometimes it can be tempting to respond right then and there. I've learned it can wait. Um, You can set it down or you can set a block of time to where you'll check those emails. So generally I do kind of check them throughout the day, but I I may not respond to them or I'll just kind of say, oh, okay, that's what I need to, to kind of think about, but I won't actually respond just yet. 
Um, and then I, that can also avoid a lot of mishaps in communication if things are translated wrong. So all of those things kind of build into balance for me. Um, and I'm learning to get better at that um, uh, and not just make my whole entire life about work. Um, so that's definitely something that I haven't um, fully mastered yet, but I'm, I'm getting there <laughs> for sure. I found that the letting your clients know that you won't reply explicitly by saying like, I don't work past five, so I'm not going to reply yeah. past five, um, does two things. One, it makes them, you know, realize that they, they can't just trample all over you and you are setting clear boundaries. Um, but I think the other thing is that it makes, it makes them aware that you have other clients other than mm-hmm. them. Because I think sometimes clients just think, okay, you're basically an employee now, so respond to me, like you're on the company Slack or whatever it is. And it's just not fair on on you as a freelancer when you're dealing with other clients, if you're treated like that by, you know, three or four different groups of people. So I have, yeah, 100% second that, making sure that you set clear boundaries for yourself, but also tell the client that you have these boundaries in place. So important for your mental health. Yeah, it's actually something you can build into paperwork. Like when it comes to your contract, your agreements, proposals, you can set that ahead of time. So they know this is when you reach out to them. And then, you know, setting up their client dashboard or wherever they go to check anything, you can have that there so they can see when you're available and when you're not available. So all of those things help for um, a partnership because you're not hiring me as an employee. I'm a partner to your company. So um, all of those things definitely help with balance for sure. Yeah, you've got to be a collaborator in the project. You're not just busting out the work with with uh, as an employee. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, really important to set that balance. And so how has this, say someone that's watching now is working 80-hour weeks and is feeling burnt out and they really, really need to work out what balance actually looks like and how good it feels to have balance in their life. I don't know if you've had this, but sometimes when you feel burnt out, you don't actually realize that you're burnt out until Mm -hmm. it's too late. And in hindsight, you're looking back like, whoa, my mental health was not good. And I was, I was working way too much. What does balance look like for you now? And how much better do you feel having got that balance in your life? I think it feels amazing because I am still in the middle of that as far as creating balance, because like I said, this past week, I'm looking into hiring, interviewing developers and kind of bring people on to offset that. If you're feeling burnt out, then that means it's either a time to hire or it's either a time to increase your prices or, you know, bring on some extra people to help you out. Um, That's a great sign that it might be time to start building an agency versus doing it all yourself. And there's there's a time period where you'll say, okay, these these projects are mine and these projects I can kind of um, collaborate with some other people on to help me out. Um, So if you're in 80 hour weeks, (laughs) you know, there's there's an issue if it is, you know, financially centered and you're doing that because, you know, you have bills to pay. Totally understand that. Um, there are ways to circumvent that. If you are getting that much business where you're working that long, then it might help to look into some people to help you. But in terms of where I am right now, um, that's uh, that's what I'm doing right now is kind of offsetting the work that I have to do 
far as development uh, and bringing people on to do branding. And you can actually say, this is my favorite part. So if your favorite part is, you know, doing the design in Figma, keep that part, do that for yourself. And the parts that you're not so great at, or you don't really want to do, you know, kind of find some people who can help you or collaborate with you, join your team, all of that good stuff um, definitely helps. So let's get into the quick fire community questions. I've got a few questions from the uh, community to ask you. I did. <laughs> so what are the best tips for hiring a Webflow dev? Oh, man. So first and foremost, definitely take a look at their read-only links. If they have a couple projects, ask to see that. You can immediately see how they build, what kind of process they use, interactions, all that stuff, um, the quality of their work. That shows a lot. And then secondly, um, see what their availability looks like. Make sure that they're not too busy or pressed because your project may not be at the top of their list. So that might be something if you're working with a contractor. But yeah, that would be my quick answer is take a look at those read-onlys. Great. And have you found a Webflow dev, by the way? Yes, I have. Um, We actually just, I was actually meaning to tweet that out the other day, but yes, we have found someone really great. Um, I'm very hopeful for him to start out on the first project, but yeah, excited. Hey, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Do you charge extra for copywriting? Should you charge extra for that and why? Yes. So for BTB Studio, we do um, add that in as an added uh, extra cost. Um, But what we do is when we offer um, clients, we actually build out a quote with three different options. We've learned I've learned that it's it's better and easier for them to convert if they see three separate options rather than just one, because that one option might put them off. But in terms of copy copywriting, that's usually an added cost to say, Um, Because I usually do have to bring someone in to do that copywriting. I'm not a writer. I don't profess to be the best kind of writer. Um, So we definitely need that to work with them on their copy and kind of flesh that out with someone. Or um, you might work with their copywriter. You don't have to build that in. So, um, yeah, for sure. And question from Philip Trot here. Where did you find your first dev? And where did you find your copywriter? Where do you find freelancers to collaborate with? So two um, areas have proven the best for me. So one, there's really great Webflow developers on Upwork um, and there's um, ways to collaborate with them. So I would definitely check that out. Um, You just have to make sure your job description is really fleshed out and really detailed for exactly the kind of person that you're looking to work with. So they make sure they fit your culture of whatever business you have. And then just making sure you speak to them like on a video call instead of just doing a a regular message. So you can meet them face to face. You can see what they're about. Um, And I wouldn't recommend just hitting the hire button and not really kind of going through that process. Um, And then secondly, doing like a private interview um, link. So if you find someone that you you see has really good work, maybe they're on Twitter or Facebook, um, you can actually DM them like if they would be willing to work with you um, as a on a team situation or maybe just a contractor situation. And they would be willing to kind of fill out your information or form. Um, We put together a quick Google form that they kind of fill out so you can see everything that we want um, to make sure um, that we evaluate the quality of their work. Um, But yeah, those are the two ways that uh, I've been going about hiring a dev. And I would also say that um, on Twitter, DMs 
it's amazing how, as Kayla just said, you know, you might just get a message from someone being like, hey, I love your work. Would you be interested in potentially collaborating? Can we get on a call? Yeah. Um, and that means that you don't necessarily need to pay for an ad on a job board. And um, I've also heard a lot of agency owners talk about getting inundated with just like hundreds of applications that they've got to go through, some of which are just a complete waste of time. And clearly the person hasn't really thought about, you know, what the culture is of the agency and things like that. So yeah, DMing people as simple as that. What does success look like to you? This is a really interesting question. Oh man, there's so many ways I could go about answering that question because a lot of times when you hear the word success, you immediately think money, um, which is, you know, it can be hard to kind of drift back to that thought um, because success a lot of times is measured by the end of the year and what your revenue looks like. But um, I'm also learning to think of it as internally, like, are, am I happy? Is my, um, is, does my life feel like I have balance? Um, am I able to do the things that I want to do in terms of freedom is concerned? Or am I locked to this client that I can't seem to get rid of um, because it's just been a nightmare? So those kinds of things, I think, you know, kind of weigh into success. And that comes from having really great people around you, really great clients around you, and also really great systems uh, around you. So I think all of those things kind of building to success for sure. What's the skill you wish you had mastered but haven't yet? I would definitely say Photoshop and Illustrator <laughs> for sure because I was never one to use those tools. It was just, it overwhelmed me. It stressed me out. I definitely can get in there and do a few things, but I'm definitely not a master at it at any means. I still sometimes have to YouTube stuff, look up Adobe uh, videos to do something pretty basic. Um, so that's something I wish I would have invested more time into because um, it's something that really transfers to websites really well if you have those skills um, in illustration um, and really custom, you know, photo editing, things like that. So that's someone that I might be willing to hire so I don't have to do that. But um, that's something that I wish I had a greater, a stronger skill in. Hey, if anyone knows Adobe really well, hey, <laughs> for <you're> sure. <laughs> I might be willing to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what's the favorite tool that you're currently using? Oh, man. If I say Webflow, is that just really <laughs> obvious? I put you um, on the spot. Let's try a different one. Right? Yeah. Let's try a different one. Um, yeah. So obviously Webflow, but if I have to pick another, um, it would definitely be octopus i believe it's um what it is it's like an information architecture tool um to build out site maps you can actually visually build out um information um it lets you do like um different layouts and kind of think out your process when you're building out wireframes and stuff like that so it's been one of my favorite tools and then obviously figma like what can't you do in figma so but if i had to pick one that everybody may not know about it would for sure be octopus and what one piece of advice would you give a Webflow freelancer starting out? Oh, man, I would say definitely get into Webflow, start breaking things, start learning, start with Webflow University first and foremost, if you want to, you know, really strengthen your skills for sure. And then also be active in community. You can learn so much from people like in, on Twitter for Twitter, it's been amazing for, for me, learning from people um, and in their journey. So those are the, the two things I would say to get started, for sure. And um, 
build clonables for sure. That can put your put your name out there. People can see your work. So those would be the top three things for sure to start. Before I ask you the final question, uh, where can people find you, Kayla? Yeah, for sure. So you can find me on Twitter at Kayla Brook uh, W. That's um, I believe it's a Brook with three O's. And then you can also find me on Instagram um, at the same. I believe it's um, at Kayla Brook. You can also if you want to hop in my DMs. We can talk um, about starting a, an agency and how that kind of goes about. You know, I'm definitely happy to to chat. Awesome, awesome stuff, Kayla. So. The final question is possibly the hardest one you've had so far. Are you ready? Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) What is your next failure going to be? Oh, that's such a good question. I would definitely say if I don't improve the third one, which is being a workaholic, that would be my next one is kind of burning out and just like completely removing myself from this whole thing, just deactivating Twitter, deactivating Facebook, all of this stuff. And I'm just going to go on sabbatical and go on a beach somewhere. That would be, (laughs) that might not be a failure, but that might be something that I would have to do if I don't kind of get this together. Um, But yeah, I guess that would be the only thing I could think of as a next failure um, for sure. Well, also building an agency going through this particular process there's definitely a lot of potential failures I can go through of hiring the wrong person or not having the right you know work or having an unhappy client because of somebody I hired those are failures that I'm I don't want but I'm ready for thanks for listening to this episode 11 of Webflow with Kayla Williams Kayla's honesty about imposter syndrome was the part of this interview that was the most thought-provoking for me At the start of your journey, it's a struggle. You're putting in hours, trying to get clients, learn skills, carefully think about your processes, etc, etc. And even though you're putting in tons of effort, you may not feel even half as good as other web flowers that you see on social media. It can be quite debilitating to see people post their amazing work and wins that you're just not having. As Kayla says though, instead of getting worked up about the clients you're not getting, and the success other people are having, it's more productive to congratulate those that are having success and work out what you can learn from them. Is there a course you could take? Is there someone you can talk to to learn from? If you look for where you can improve consistently and make an effort to do so, success will be just around the corner. If you want inspiration, business advice, Webflow Jobs direct your inbox, sign up for the Webflow Roundup at www.webflow.com. This is a weekly newsletter designed for you to take your Webflow freelancing to the next level. I hope it helps. Next week, I'll be interviewing Julian Kreth, who is the co-founder of a German digital agency, 2017-20. Join us at 4pm BST on YouTube this coming Thursday to talk about some epic failures from Julian's career. Until next week, web flailers. <laughs>